I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. Uh, we are also a day late. I don't want to live my life. If you listen to the first half of this podcast, you know that uh, I had to put my dog down uh, while we're watching this ridiculous show. So because of that and a few other factors, we're a day late. <laughs> uh, uh, you can dock our pay. Welcome to the Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death podcast. I'm your co-host, Josh. And I'm your co-host, the girlfriend, Cindy. Welcome back to another episode of Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death, the podcast about scaring a girl to death with movies. My name is Cindy. And you're the attempted murderee. (laughs) I've never heard victim put that way before but murdery murdery you're welcome fancy i'm josh i'm attempting to murder her with movies so i can steal her vast wealth (laughs) i'm a public school teacher in west virginia we're on we're on week two that's true of stephen king week no we're not we're on week three Oh my goodness, we're on week three already. Yeah, we yeah, are. We did because uh, we did Dead Zone and Misery. And then Misery. And then oh my gosh. <laughs> it feels like it's been both a moment and a year in the last week. Yeah. We had a new um, president, but the other president says no. We are essentially living through a coup. Not really. Yeah. I have a feeling. Not really. I've got a feeling. I think people are giving Trump too much credit. I mean he's kind of a, an idiot. Like I mean, it's dangerous, and he he is doing a lot of harm, undermining like how elections work and the validity of our election process. Right. But I don't think he has nearly the support to pull off some sort of coup. Mm. I don't even think he could spell coup if you ask him to. Oh, you're a poet. Mm. So you know, just a fun fact on my end. But After we're not here that, to talk to you about that. Uh, so let's talk about we're here to talk you about Pet Cemetery with a with an S. Is that what you always say? Yeah, with an okay. S. It's Pet Cemetery with an S. Um, fun fact: Before we get into this movie, fun fact: This movie is weirdly timed to for Oh to, my God! I just realized. Yeah. That. So tomorrow, as of we're recording this. Hi guys, welcome to the Let's Scare My Girlfriend to Death podcast, 10th. where Cindy has a revelation. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, long story short, Cindy is putting down her dog tomorrow. Yes, I, uh, because she's very aggressive and she's very it's, old. It's time. and she's sweet and she's old and she's this great dog, but uh, sometimes she's getting mean and she's gonna end up hurting somebody. Yeah. So sometimes the universe just kind of coalesces into weird coincidences. And the mm. fact that this is the movie we're doing this week, unplanned, mm. with the events of your life, is very interesting. <laughs> Man, I didn't even put two and two it's together. Very, I'm just over here living my life, not realizing <sighs> stars are aligning against me. You know, I don't want to talk about this now. It's going to make it even worse. Whatever. Tell me some bullshit about this bullshit. Well, this movie was released in 1989. All right. We've done 89 a few times. I feel like between 85 and 95 was like the year of King films. Yeah, this actually came out April 21st of 1989. So that, talking about Desert Storm then, right? Yeah, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time covering uh, the history of 1989 because we have covered a lot of the late 80s. And early, like not so much early nights, but late 80s especially on this podcast. I will say that 1989 is kind of known as a turning point politically so that's another like double connection to the events of this past week mm-hmm. uh it is when a large wave of revolution swept the eastern bloc in europe it started in poland and hungary and then went through uh germany with and coalesced with the berlin wall being toppled and also facts. these the, are all facts guys the Velvet revolution in czechoslovakia which was the overthrowing of the communist dictatorship in Romania as well in December, in the USSR kind of officially collapses and dissolves in that... Um, During that. Well, that led to... It didn't actually like dissolve officially until 1991, but this is kind of the death blow to a lot of the Soviet uh, 
Union, which was in 1989. So, yeah, that's a weird double connection between the year and, and the film. the timing of and this. And what's going on in your life and all of our lives. Hello, 1989. Hello. Hello, Pet Cemetery. Hello. We're here to talk to you. Um, that's also Hello. weirdly the same year that F.W. de Klerk was elected as the state president of South Africa, and his regime slowly began dismantling apartheid, and that's what led to the 1994 election of Nelson Mandela. It kind of started in 1989 with the election of um, F.W. de Klerk. So... Yeah, 1989 was kind of like a year... It was a good year, as opposed to this year, which has not been. As opposed to most of what was going on in the United States, which was, hey, Reaganism's working, let's just keep trucking with this. The rest of the world was like, hey, um, this ain't working. Yeah, we're going to... We need to do some stuff. We're going to mulligan our government. We're going to hit restart. Yeah. Uh, People that were born that year. Elizabeth Olsen... She's an adventure. You know, is she the? Is she older? She's younger. Younger. She's okay. the she's the baby of the three, and Anton Yelchin, which was the star of Green Room. We talked yep. about him at length when we did the Green no, Room episode. Green Room, yeah. Daniel Radcliffe, so star old. of Guns Akimbo. <laughs> star of Harry Potter. Fun That's fact: so fun. If you're listening to this podcast, watch Guns you Akimbo. Probably will really enjoy Guns Akimbo. It is batshit crazy, and I loved it. Uh, and lastly... Lastly... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was born in 1989. She is 10 years younger than me and doing so much more with her slaying life. Slaying it. She's slaying it. She's killing it. I believe it. that's what they, they, they call it. Uh, people that died that year... Hit me. Ted Bundy. Okay. Uh, on a very related note, Lucille Ball. Yeah. They both killed it. Oh my god. They both killed it. Just at different things. No, the same with my dog. That's getting ready to die. Oh, it's a threefer. Let's see how many more crazinesses we can block. And everyone, listen to the sound Cindy's gonna make. That was the year Gilda Radner died. I don't wanna talk. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh. Okay, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so let's get into Pet Cemetery. This I'm still movie, shaking off 89. Go ahead. <laughs> Full disclosure. What? This movie scared the shit out of me as a kid. Well, that makes me feel so time terrific about what I'm about to see. <laughs> Everyone who's listening to this and who has seen this movie, yeah. you know the character and the scene that I'm referring to when I said I it scared the shit out of me. I feel like I'm not an inside joke. Uh, You soon will be. So, Pet Cemetery is one hour and 43 minutes long. It is rated R, as all good Stephen King films should be. It's directed by, are you ready for this? I'm ready. Mary Lambert. So we get a lady director, which is nice, because we don't get enough of those. Okay. Um, Especially 89. Yeah, this was like her big breakthrough film, and I, I think it was her second film overall. But she was mostly known for doing music videos. Nice. So it's she... Dead, it's a dead art. She directed a lot of things, but most notably, she directed the Like a Virgin video. Ooh. Yeah. Pretty awesome. She actually came back and directed Pet Cemetery 2. Electric Boogaloo. Which is not great. Oh, okay. Like, this movie's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but Pet Cemetery 2... Is even worse. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, it's got its moments. But... Mm. Um, okay, well, it was written by Stephen King. By Stephen King, you based on his that. own book. So he wrote the screenplay. Um, so that's a thing, which is awesome. It stars Dale Midkiff as Lewis Creed. I know that name somehow. Yeah. Um, he was in The Crow Salvation. No. And he's in Streetwalking, where he's the evil pimp. Oh, is that that movie that, that you I own. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it came in the mail not too long Thank ago. you, Shell Factory, for my copy of Streetwalking. <sighs> Whatever. You ever see a movie on Blu-ray with a pristine transfer, and you're like, why this? <laughs> why <laughs> like, you? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm glad I have it to watch it. But I see it, and I'm just like, there's so many things you could have done. And so and they did street walking. You chose street walking. Fair. 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 Don't um, understand it, but all right. 
I would say the heavy hitter in this movie is Denise Crosby, who, is who plays uh, Rachel Creed. Rachel Creed? So that's the, the wife character, but Denise Crosby is the actress, and she was in Miracle Mile. Remember we watched that with Anthony yes. Edwards, where he gets the phone call about, they're going to fire the missiles. Yes. It's all going to end. She was also in Deep Impact, and she was on Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm sure I, I so, know the face. Yeah, I'm sure when you see her, she was okay. If you remember Miracle Mile, she was the lady in the business suit who like grabbed Anthony Edwards, and she's like, "Exactly what did they say?" Oh, I don't remember. And that organized face, the but, whole okay. everyone. Like she yeah. was the one who was like, "I'm in charge." And Anthony Edwards ran away from him to save that lady. Uh, Fred Gwynn, other heavy hitter than this. Is he played <laughs> big the time husband He's, character? No, that's. That's Louis Creed. Oh. Did he? Sorry. Keep up. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm thinking about Anthony Edwards, and I went to ER, uh, and then I went down to so George Clooney rabbit hole. You know who Fred Gwynn is. Somehow he plays, I did have a white Christmas. He plays the neighbor Judd Crandall. He is best known as Herman Munster. Oh, I do know him. Yeah. And he's also, uh, isn't he the judge in My Cousin My Cousin, my cousin Vinny. Vinny. <laughs> These two Utes. Utes. What's what? a Ute? These two what? Utes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Yara. Utes. <laughs> Ute. Uh, Miko Hughes plays Gage Creed. He is the adorable kid in Kindergarten Cop that says, boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. Got it. I know that kid. <laughs> I used to love that movie. Uh, he's also in New Nightmare, which I love that movie. New Nightmare? D- Nightmare, as uh, Burt Crusher would say. Uh, I'm going to round it out. There's a couple more people I just want to mention real fast. Brad Grinquist plays Obviously, Victor yeah. Pascal. And Haunting Our Fucking Nightmares is, if you watch this movie as a child too early, is Andrew Hubitek as Zelda. Not Andrew Dice Clay. Don't disrespect Andrew Hubitek. Wait, wait, wait. Is, that, is, that the little, is that the little lady? Zelda. Yes, is that the is that like she's small and she was in Teen Witch and she was in Poltergeist? No. Oh, never mind. Her name in Poltergeist was Zelda. Oh. Her real name is not Zelda. No, I knew that it was a woman. <laughs> I knew she had a Zelda connection. <laughs> I'm just whatever. Shut up. Uh, I love it. Okay. God damn it! I love doing this podcast. I love hanging out with you and watching movies and hearing you freak out and then getting to talk and by proxy spend time with. The people who listen to the show. <laughs> God bless you for listening to the show. We love you. Our ramblings. Me more than Cindy. She yeah. lucky hates you. I love you, though. <sighs> Don't worry. Daddy loves you. All right. Uh, a couple little bit of trivia about this movie before we watch it. So, Stephen King has oh, said this. that this is the only novel he ever wrote. That scared him. <laughs> oh, okay. Is this... I think this is this the one that he wrote and then he put it in a drawer and like didn't bring it out for a few years. I feel like that's a lot of Stephen King books. All right. Well, like a lot of there's a lot, especially the early like through the eighties, um, the beginning Stephen King era through the Coke era. <laughs> there's a lot of like. There's a lot of rambling. I wrote this book in two days and then I angrily got rid of it or threw it away or locked it up and my wife got it and was like, "This is good, you idiot." And then made me, like, send it to my publisher. And it became, like, a smash hit. Like, he threw Carrie away. Like, he literally wrote it and was like, this book is trash. And threw it in the garbage. And his wife took it out and was like, this is good. Send it to your publisher. And it made his fucking career. So, listen to your wife. Listen to your wife. And also, like, just calm down, bro. Like, he's the anti-George R.R. Martin. I mean, dude turns out a book, like, every year. Uh, uh, so, are there any cameos? Like anybody really super, nope. super famous? Nope, 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 nope. I don't think so. Um, so Stephen King uh, was on set most days that the film was being shot because they shot it 20 minutes from his house. Cool. He basically used his clout at that, that point to be like, you're going to shoot this in Maine if you want to make it near my house. And I'm just going to pop in to make sure everything's going the way it should. Nice. Uh, Yep. The original director before filming was delayed was George A. Romero. So this was originally going to be a George Romero movie. 
Why was it? Was it delayed because it had to be in Bangor, Maine? It was fucking freezing. No, no, no. It it got delayed for like money reasons. Oh, okay. And like Romero couldn't stay on the project and had to go. Yeah, he something. Like he and um, I know obviously Creepshow and Creepshow Two. They worked together on those. Mm-hmm. And then two, I think is it two Evilies? They worked on that together. So I mean, he was like really good friends with oh. Stephen King. So Stephen King was all about having him work on this movie. It just didn't line up um, with the, with budget constraints and everything else. It, it turns into one of the great what if uh, Stephen King things. Same with uh, Don Coscarelli's Cycle of the Werewolf. Like what could have I want to live in a universe where they got to make those Stephen King books in the movies? Because mm-hmm. I really want to see them. <laughs> But I have no idea what you're I live in. About I live right in this now. universe. I've zoned out, and it's awful. Uh, and <laughs> just for you, Cindy. What? Um, there is a little cameo. Who is it? Stephen King. One himself? of the children's voices, right? Is during the opening of the movie belongs to Jonathan Brandis. Really? He's not in it. But you it's his him, voice. he gets a voice but credit. You can pull his voice out if you're paying attention. And put it as a ringtone. Thank you. <laughs> so that's what I have for you. Yay. Um, that's very nice. It's going to be a party. And goddamn Zelda is Zelda. Especially because I got this whole freaking week going on. And I have to watch this damn thing on top of it. Yeah. My suggestion is we, we do this before... We have to put your dog down rather than after, because I think it'd be a bad idea to wait till do it after. Just Super saying. glad that I get to see it beforehand, though. Super yeah. glad. Yeah. Well, actually, it might make you a little less hesitant. So, are you ready to see this poster? Yes. Show me the poster from the film, and I'll try to tell you the plot. That I remember staring at that VHS box cover. So, it's <laughs> a man's eyes staring, ripped picture... Dead animals, car crash, bloody head wound. Uh, I'm going to say that a little kid tries to resurrect their dead animal and accidentally resurrects a zombie that was buried there as well. Okay. I would would watch that movie. It's not the plot of this movie. You're not super far off base but enough that it, it would be a different movie I really don't know anything about this movie like I you know I knew a lot about Misery and stuff but not this one alright so we're gonna watch it uh, you have the Blu-ray or are we gonna be renting this where can we find this we'll movie? be we'll be renting this cause um oh good so not only am I gonna have to deal with this movie and then put my dog down but I also get to rent this movie yeah, I'll pay for it <laughs> try to get out of it let me get out of it. It's never happening. You were destined to watch Pet Cemetery a week after a historic election and the day before you had to say goodbye to your dog. On that note, <laughs> join us, won't you? This is going to be fucking awesome. Mind the doors. What is this place? I brought you here to bury Alan's cat. Daddy, is Church all right? Why, Judge? I have no reasons. I dreamed he got hit by a car and you and Mr. Crandall buried him in the pet cemetery. What did we do tonight, Judge? What we did, Lois, was a secret. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Has anyone ever buried a person up there? May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. You're thinking thoughts. That's not photo. Daddy's going to do something really bad. You're thinking of putting him up there. Don't deny the thought hadn't crossed your mind. Come back to me, Gage. Come back to us. presents Stephen King's all-time best-selling tale of horror. Pet Cemetery. Welcome back, guys. What did you think of Pet Cemetery? Um, I I liked it more when it was just the opening one. Like, that that should just be the... 
<laughs> the, the opening the line. What'd back. you think? Yeah. What'd you think? What you got? This movie. This weirdly. movie was very hard for me to watch. We talked about in the front half. I had to put my dog down the day after we watched it. And uh, this podcast is now officially two days late because it's been that kind of a week from having to put a dog down after watching Pet Cemetery to yeah. uh, Josh has hurt his back. And well, just, let's, let's it's be been honest. insane. My combination of like insane school paperwork that was due i, I would just like to remind both you and our listeners oddly failing health i am the not reason why this podcast is late. i do not have oddly failing. i am under the same like schoolwork pressure i mean i've got a 20 page paper and then like a 20 page case study it's been i mean it's crazy i just handle my stress better than you do like i'm, I'm just like okay <laughs> I don't handle home stress, but I can handle work and school stress. I'm weird like that. You can handle the emotional stuff, but you freak out about structured stuff. I got this structure. Don't don't talk about feelings, please. Fair. We're the yin and the yang, boo. That's why we work. We're the old Herman Munster guy and the wannabe Patrick Duffy guy. It was something mid-kiff. What was the lead guy's name? <laughs> Patrick fucking Pat- Duffy, man. He was poor man's Richard Duffy. Uh, or Dale po- Richard, du- Richard Duffy. Poor man's Patrick Duffy uh, was the father. Okay, so th- what was this movie about? Get your IMDb one ready, Josh. I'm going to try. Okay, so this movie was about... <laughs> I could sum it up by saying... This is another gross example of a white man exploiting Native American traditions and warnings, but uh, it was more than that. So it's a movie about bad parents who don't want to explain death, so they try to cheat death, and death comes anyway. Oh, what? That was a good tagline. That's. I think you just hit a theme. I don't think that's a... Uh, explanation of the plot. I think you're wrong. (laughs) I think that's as close as I'm going to get because I don't remember anybody's names except for church because it was dumb. Okay, sorry, go ahead. What does IMDb say? (laughs) You're stuck on poor man's Patrick Duffy, aren't you? No, it's just you are all over the place right now. No, I'm I'm right on schedule. I'm recapping the plot and asking you to do the same. Uh, After tragedy strikes, a grieving father discovers an ancient burial ground behind his home with the power to raise the dead. So, this is like a lot of Stephen King stories. It's a family that moves to Maine. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Unlike most Stephen King stories, the father is not an author. He's a doctor. Normally, it's an author. However... He's kind of a shitty doctor. One of the children is psychic. So that, that tracks with Stephen King. Like okay, the so... The little girl, Ellie, is like well, psychic. I, is she, she psychic see, or is it the she's, ghost? She's of, very psychic in the novel. Okay. And then they kind of, they don't quite... They just allude as, to ...across it. as well in the book, but that's the reason why she can see uh, that Victor Pascal ghost. I couldn't remember his last name. Yeah. And she kept calling him Pascal. Hex cow, and everyone's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" So basically, family moves into this house in rural Maine because of dad's taking over the local school's uh, medical program. There's a highway on the other side of the highway is Herman Munster's house, Judd Crandall. <laughs> Thank you for saying his real name. Um, you're welcome. Franklin. He's just such like. And, and I brought that up in the beginning. Like, even though, yes, he's the guy from, he's the judge from uh, My Cousin Vinny, which is iconic. He's Herman Munster. Yeah. And, you know, even when they made this movie and he was older, they had to dye his hair gray because his hair was still, like, jet black. How old was he? I don't know, like a trillion wow. years old at that point. Yeah. Good his on him. black. So they had to, like, well, they had to age him up a He played bit. a good... Uh, con- I don't want to say country bumpkin because they're in Maine, but he played a good old boy pretty yeah. well. And he also is... That's another thing that's from Stephen King, isn't it? 
Kind of a large, lumbering country bumpkin. Yeah. I mean, basically, Stephen King tried to play this role in Creepshow. Really? (laughs) He had the the bib overalls on and the meteor, and he's like, oh, Oh, meteor shit. Yeah. That's what he was trying. He was trying to do this. Basically, he was playing this role in a way. Um, But there's a lot of Stephen King-isms. Anyway, there's... A pet cemetery behind the house they move into, and beyond the pet cemetery is this Native American graveyard because that was a thing that we used to have in our culture. Was the concept of, of a pet there's cemetery? There's Native American cemeteries, oh, yeah. and, and then there's crazy things happen in them. There was a lot. Hmm. And so, well, I was going to say can, basically, okay. the cat dies. Right. They bury the cat, and the Native American cemetery comes back. His kid gets killed by a tractor trailer. They bring him back. The kid kills uh, Frank Gwynn, Herman Munster, Judge Crandall, and the mom. And then the dad right. brings the mom and back. And the dad is a damn doctor. Yeah. A damn doctor. Well, that kind of tracks though. Like, doctors, in a way, are fighting death. Hmm. I mean, I, yeah, I guess. Like, especially that's their, that's their job is to prolong life. So the only reason so he that found a different way to do it. The only reason that we've been kind of again, this I've gone by the book, by the movie, not the book. I mean, obviously, the only thing that time that it's ever important that he's a doctor is in the opening shot when it's his license plate. That's a given. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is this very brief moment where um a, a a college student has been what do they say hit by a train or hit by a bus or hit by something and they bring him into i guess he works at a teaching hospital and he he the kid's dead on arrival but he says like no we're gonna at least try and so he go he exhausts all attempts to try and revive this man which proves helpful because mm-hmm. this boy is then trying to warn him about his dumbass self and what he's about to do well let's let's do this real fast um, I think let's take a second because you brought up two things I kind of want to talk about. Okay. So first, let's talk about I have I jotted some notes down about the differences between the book and the movie. So I can go over that real fast with you, and then we'll loop back to talking about okay. Pascal real fast. So let's so, start there. Okay. The major differences between the book and the movie. So. Well, you taught you so the one was the psychic thing. Yeah. With the daughter, um, and because that, I—that's implied in the movie, but I it's totally missed very, that. Like, um, it's it's just a given in the book. I get. I guess I just like it, like I said, I just wrote it off that she had had another dream. I mean, so the the Pascal guy comes to them to warn them of the future and what they're going to do, and when the dad stops listening, I guess I just assumed that he'd started to visit the girl. The little girl. Yeah. Uh, also, the little girl plays uh, Victoria Cecilia on the in the movie Beaches. Just saying, Hillary Whitney's daughter at the end. Beaches. My mom Sorry. loves that movie. Well, there you go. Then that was a factoid um, between your mom and I. So the book in the movie Pet Cemetery. So in the book, Judd and uh, Lewis become good friends, and it's almost like a father son relationship. And they let you know that Lewis's father, I think it was either he died or he left when Lewis was like a kid. Oh. So there's like this, they become very like, mm-hmm. you know, bro-y yeah. in the book especially. Uh, on Halloween, Judd's wife Norma, so his wife is in the book but not in the movie. Okay, so she was, t- yeah, because yeah. it did seem a little odd that he lived in that massive house Totally alone by himself. Yeah. His wife Norma on Halloween suffers a heart attack, and she survives and makes a recovery thanks to Lewis. Okay, so him His being a doctor, really comes yeah, into play. it would have been a big. And that's what sets up around a month later on Thanksgiving when, when the cat okay. church gets killed, and so, he, he's like wanting to. How do I, you know, how do I break this to my daughter? Or whatever. But that's the other thing. Like, dude, you're a doctor. You've studied enough bereavement to know you know what I mean like how to yeah. talk to people about stuff I, like that I think the problem in the in the movie especially is he's kind of okay with it it's the mom who's not okay with it and they're at odds like they're not on the same page with like 
how to explain death and where mm-hmm. they're, what their family stance the reason, on the afterlife is. So the reason they're not on the same page is that the mom has this backstory where... Um, what, what I was going to say earlier was it's kind of interesting to watch these movies and see how Stephen King progressed as an American through the ages because he does in this movie so the backstory with the mom is that she had an an older sister with spina bifida who was bedridden and she left to die is that right or the the older sister had hurt herself and then rather than helping, she left her to die. But that's why she has all these hang-ups on death. They, but also, that's not how spina bifida works. So, the wife, Rachel, was left to watch her sister. Mm-hmm. And then her sister was choking, and then she made the decision to just let her choke to death rather than help her. Okay. Because she just wanted to be done with her. And, like, that insane painting that's hanging in yes. the stairwell, that's Zelda. Oh, the the clown looking thing. Yeah. Okay, and that's why Gage appears when he before he kills her in, in that. that outfit because it's implied in the movie and a little more so in the oh. book that Zelda using Gage is like having the, like, been resurrected reaches back like from the afterlife to get her revenge on Rachel who just let her die. Yeah, when she could have tried to stop her. That is spooky stuff. This is like every. Uh, well, not every, but almost every 80s Stephen King movie, which is, it's a very surface level of the book, which is a lot yeah. more in detail. Right. I mean, there's a lot of detail in the book that they did not carry over. Oh, for sure. I mean, they couldn't. Especially, it's, it's like an hour and like 40 thinking, yeah. some minutes. And the book is uh, rather lengthy. Um, I know in the book, I believe Judd's story about the resurrected dog comes after Church's resurrection, not before it. Okay. Which would make Lewis's decision a little to go easier, okay? Right? Yeah. Of, of like, oh, I didn't know that it was going to come back to life. Like in the book, Judd's like, oh. "Hey, I want to help you because you saved my life's life." Right. And in so this, it was I'm just going to do this to help you out. Yeah. Not like, hey, I feel bad that your cat died. Yeah. I, I mean, it, yeah. The it was movie a stretch. Him is like, like clearly he just wants to help this girl, but and give her her cat back. But in the book, it's definitely more of a, oh, uh, like a... You debt. helped my wife, let like, me help I you. Yeah, you I get debt. that. Right. That makes a lot and, more sense. That's why I think the book tracks a little, a lot better, actually. But And then Rachel doesn't actually kill Lewis after she's resurrected. The book ends with her coming back, but she doesn't actually kill him the way she does in the end of the movie. Oh. How, it, like, they're kissing and her eyes leaking, which is the first part of the movie, I think. Yes. And then she picks up the knife and it cuts out of the house, you hear him scream. Yep. It doesn't happen like that. She just comes back, and then they're together, and then the book ends. Wow. Um, so that's kind of the major differences between the wow. book and the movie. I know the remake... When, when, when did the remake come out? Uh, a couple years ago. Like maybe two years ago, a year or two ago. Oh, so really recently. Yeah. Okay. But I don't anticipate us watching anytime soon, so I will say that they totally changed the plot. Oh, really? To where it's not Gage that gets hit by the car and comes back. It's Ellie. Because she's so annoying. (laughs) It's because they they and I agree with them. They felt they the directors and writers of the remake thought. There's more you can do with an older actor and character than you can with like a 18 month old. It yeah. seems. Because at the end of the day, <sighs> wow. I enjoy the mechanics of this movie. I thought you were gonna say dead babies, and I enjoy the um, kind of like the mythology of this movie. Mm-hmm. But a toddler is not inherently scary, right? Like Gage yeah, is they, not they really would have scary. had to really demonstrate and explain the connection that Zelda. You know what I mean? If they were going to to make a toddler scary. Now, I just want to... Until I, he cut the Achilles tendon. I just want to talk to you about a couple pieces of trivia. I think that'll Let's lead us into this. the themes of this movie. So, I'm going to give you something from the point of Stephen King and something from the point of Mary Lambert, the director. So, Stephen King was actually inspired to, to write this by real events that occurred to him. While he was living in oh. Orrington, Maine with his family... He said that while living there, his daughter's cat was killed on the highway, 
Okay. And a lot of his, like, daughter's emotional outbursts and how she would, like, freak out at random after the cat's death was taken from his own daughter's, like... That's so sad. I mean, it... cat death grief. Yeah. Uh, He also remembered that once his youngest son had nearly run into the road and got hit by a truck. Yeah, that was, like, heart-stopping as a parent. And the character of Judd Crandall was based on the elderly neighbor that lived across the road from King. And there was an actual pet cemetery in the woods behind the King house, which became the basis for the one in the book. I wonder if it was spelled that way. So he kind of just... You write about what you know. Took the things that were happening to him yeah. and combined them all into this story. And then... That's the lesson we learned from Little Women, isn't it? Now, so that's the Stephen King perspective of why he wrote it. And once he wrote it and he wrote the screenplay and Mary Lambert went to direct it, she, she had a different said, vision. And I think this is a key to unlocking how some she of the choices they made for this movie to be viewed. Okay. So she viewed Victor Pascal as the good angel and Judd Crandall as the bad angel on Lewis's shoulders. Okay. So I guess I don't see that just because Jed was just such like an affable, nice guy. He is an affable, nice guy, but he in the movie, especially, is the person who's like, "There's a pet cemetery. Let's go there." Yeah, none of this would have happened There's if this he hadn't told him about it. Ancient Native American Micmac graveyard. Micmac. If you bury things there, they come back to life. Like he's the one who plants that seed. Yeah, I gets get the that. whole ball rolling. I get right? that. And then it comes down to. He's on one shoulder saying, hey, you should do this, like, da 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 And once they start going down that road, even Judd can't stop it from happening. Yeah. And then Victor Pascal's whole thing, and I don't even think it's necessarily him, right? What do you, okay. I think it's like... Insane grief? I he just lost it, he snapped? <clears throat> like, I don't know if it's the ghost of Victor Pascal or if it's just... Something taking his familiar shape to tell Lewis, like, "Hey, oh, I do see what you're saying. Not do this. Yeah, why? Right, like, why did this random teenage kid or college student? You know, if if you, it would be have like, this information. Is that explained in the book? I don't think so. Okay, I mean, just it's, it's it ha- like Victor Pascal is definitely in the book. Yeah, but why him? And why I, he I had was privy to this information, sort of a thing. I think it's because. Ellie describes it as when they had a connection because what was odd? Oh, we just had a little light flicker here, guys. Uh, They have a connection because Lewis was in the room helping him when his soul left his body. And there was a connection from that. Oh, that makes me sad. Um, Makes me sad. So there's like, you know, something in the afterlife is having Pascal like linger on to yeah. try to stop Lewis from doing this thing. And is it because Lewis is inherently a good guy? He's a healer? He's a doctor? Because I don't think so. I think he's kind of an idiot. I, but... think, he's a, I think he's ambivalent. I think I think he is a neutral character who has the potential to go either way. And he has two... He's just a pawn. ...other guys who are giving him conflicting... Uh, like Mary Lambert saying, like conflicting yeah, information and advice... And he chooses to, I mean, he basically chooses to ignore the altruistic one and latch on to the one that benefits him and I mean, he, his wants and needs. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm a doctor. I want to solve death and I want to have my family back. And I, I don't want any, like, disruptions to my family life. Man. Which is a whole crazy thing. But, I mean, that kind of leads us into the themes of this movie. So, I mean, obviously, loss and grieving, Right. Right. That's a big part of this movie. I think. Uh, what about what? What about the parental idea of a second chance? Like the, f- you failed to protect your child, and you want to go back and mulligan that. Yeah. Like, how many people do you know? Oh, I we don't, just myself, just myself. Like, I mean, yeah, I know a million people, but just speaking from experience, I am a parent. Um, there are, I mean, every parent has the. Not even life or death situations like with Gage in the movie, but just like, oh, little events that you kind of go, oh, crap, that's going to become a permanent memory. Yeah. Oh, I wish I'd done that differently. Um, then that, as a parent, that's just part of your everyday life. 
is, you know, every decision you make, you have to think about how it will affect your kid. And do you do everything in their best interest? So not protecting them, not doing something in their best interest, that guilt must be overwhelming. I think, like, the conversation with Ellie about the death of church. Yeah. And then how death works. Or so dumb. Engage. I think all of those things are, like, you would want to mulligan those things. You're like, well, we handled that really poorly. <laughs> not, Let's not just try like a different death. way. Not just like, you know, ah, we let our guard down and we weren't paying attention to our kid for a second. He got (laughs) in the road and got hit. But, I mean, I think we all want to protect the people we love. And we also, there's always these things we wish we could go back and just change. Mm -hmm. For sure. And I think this, the book and the movie is kind of about that. Oh, well, and if you add Stephen King's layer into it, then yeah, there's a heavy coat of parent guilt in that, I bet, in the book. What else? Is there any other theme? Uh, yeah. I think this movie and book deal a lot with mm-hmm. the, first of all, the unknown, right? Right. Stephen King's really into, like, you know, psychic phenomena, especially at this time. Because, we, I mean, shit, we just talked about the dead zone a couple weeks ago. Yeah. But also, the this movie especially is about the destructive fragility... Of a white man's ego. Of masculinity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. When faced with the the concept of you fucked up or you're you have to deal with this loss rather than like dealing with it in a healthy way. And e- the mom every kind of does. single man in this story does it wrong. The mom's father punches him when having and he funeral, has to deal with the loss at of Gage's funeral. Like yeah, yeah. And knocking the casket over over. Ugh. Every time I see this movie, I always am like, surely this is a dream sequence. And it is and not. And it is not. <laughs> this movie is a massive hit. Um, what kind of trivia? Like, what should I have have seen? Or if I watched it again, what would I have to look out for? Anything um, good? Anything interesting in this? Yeah. Well, actually, I was definitely surprised when the priest at the funeral turned out to be uh, mm-hmm. Stephen King. His mullet. I know. Well, yeah. I I know that his thing is he always has a cameo in every movie he he's made. So I was kind of on the lookout for it, but I was surprised it was the priest. He's, he's not in all of them, but in a fair amount of them, it pops up. What else he got? He's no Hitchcock. Uh, I will say. I was going to say he's no uh, Stan Lee, but whatever. <laughs> Teaches him. To connect back, uh, one thing I kind of forgot to mention is, along with trivia and the novel so the original screenplay featured the wendigo do you know what wendigo is no it's a native american spirit um and it's basically like a destructive spirit if i'm remembering this correctly that we talked about them when we did um oh what was the name of the it was like the second episode what's we the ever name did. of that oh yeah good luck with me no third that. third episode third nope. fourth episode is the first month of the podcast not gonna remember but essentially it's once you eat the flesh of another person Right, you like you crave that you. It's like an insatiable hunger that can never be filled. Like once you've crossed that line, well, that's the theory. There's no yeah. going back. So that's a Wendigo, um, and the Wendigo is actually mentioned in the novel. So once you resurrect someone from the dead, it's like, oh, I want to do this all the time now. It's like an easy out. You figured out how to cheat it. Well, there's like an actual Wendigo in the forest. Oh, okay. In the story, and they cut it from the film. And, but we hear it twice. First, when when Lewis is walking alone in the woods at night, when he has to cross that barrier, and he hears that sound. Yeah, they left the sound in, and then when they go to the graveyard to bury Church, and you hear that sound in the background. I didn't. And even he's notice. like, "What?" There's like this weird, like, tree falling sound, and then like this, like, almost like a howl. I don't remember. And but okay. Just like, or uh, Lewis is like, "What was that?" And Judd's like, "It's just a loon." It's like that's not a loon. That's not that's not a loon makes. I don't remember that at all. Trees. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. Uh, this was the first film screenplay King had adapted from one of his own novels. Uh, the burial ground was built on top of an actual mountain. They had to bring bulldozers in to move those rocks and everything around. Cool. Uh, Let's and- destroy some land for a film. It's whatever. It's whatever, man. Andrew Hubitak, who played Zelda. It was actually a guy. Um, 
the reason really? he's the, okay. yeah the reason he's the guy was they felt it would be creepier <laughs> than bringing in a young girl if you knew that it was a guy under that no I mean they the whole thing was like they're gonna bring in like a little like a like, like a, a child? 14 or 15 year old girl and she's gonna be really dainty and, and instead it was they a brought this very dude in who man. could like throw himself around gotcha in like a fucking terrifying way yes and he did and, and it was and Zelda is everyone who saw this movie as a child like myself Zelda when it, they talk about why this movie is fucking terrifying it's Zelda I Zelda think is, the, is the well when you're like 10. Oh, for sure. No, I get that. she just sets up in that bed real fast and stares at Rachel and then she runs across the room. You know little 10-year-old Cindy would have been peeing her pants and running out that I mean, exit door pushing rather than pulling. Yeah. And the thing is, my mom has spina bifida. Like, yeah, it's very, like it's... Like, a very mild form of spina bifida. Like, you don't look like a fucking monster. Mm-hmm. Your your back doesn't look like your spine is you don't lay in crawling bed. out of it. Uh, you don't lay in bed just rolling around. You can't feed yourself or dress yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, it can be really bad. It can yes. be debilitating. But it doesn't, like, to my knowledge, remold your body no. into a fucking monster. That is correct. It does not do that. <laughs> uh, so Church is actually a British short hair cat. And they had to use nine cats. Because they kept killing them. Uh, no, actually, no cats were harmed in the making of this I movie. know that. I was just being funny, dear. Um, no, but I, I think it, it's worth pointing out because there are shots of them, like, injecting the cats with, like... Ugh, like it's gross. Yeah. But none of the cats were actually hurt. There were nine of them that were totally used. The eye-glowing thing... Oh, yeah, that was cool. How they could make... So... I just assume cat's eyes are reflective and they cat's just Cat's eyes are shot reflective. Correctly. And they just hit it with a light from a certain angle. Yeah. And it would do that. That's so cool. I, it was a super simple special effect. Practicality. Uh, yeah, the studio wanted the cat. Uh, no, I'm sorry. The studio wanted to cut the funeral scene, and to change the ending to be a little scarier with Rachel, you know, picking the knife up and everything. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, the filmmakers compromised and changed the ending, but they kept in the funeral scene, like they. It's like that's such a weird studio note of like watching this movie and being like, Well that scene with the funeral is a bummer. Why don't we cut that out? Yeah, it's that's like, the problem. Okay, well that's kinda of like a like a hinge point in the movie. I think how many times have you seen this movie, do you think? Um Is this one of those movies you've seen a bunch? Several. I, I mean I'm not gonna say like hundreds, but quite, it, quite this a was a big popular sleepover movie when I was growing up. Um, I don't think this is a movie my kids would like, though. But I think, that, again, that's just because it's dated. It's the pacing, and it's it's a much more, like, it hit me as a scary movie because I'm a parent. You know what I mean? I don't think my kids would find, unless, like you said, Zelda, that would be yeah, scary. This is, I think this is a movie that, and a book, that is scary when you're a child because of the themes of death and... That, you know, Zelda is a monster. Right. It's, you know, all that. And then as you become an adult, it's not as scary. And then when you have, like, adult responsibilities like children, mm-hmm. then it becomes scary again. Yeah. It becomes... But it's for a different reason, right? It's not, oh, there's a monster that looks like a girl and... It was... You know, oh, there's this kid that comes back to... It's the idea of, like, losing your family. Like, yeah, essentially, yeah. because of his shitty decisions... He lost everything. his entire family. Is this a movie that won, like, awards or anything? I know Misery won, you no. know. Oh, okay. Look, I, I was young in the 80s, man. Um, no, this didn't. I will say that there are two connections uh, that I could find. One in the, in the movie and then one that was in the book that connect this to the larger King universe. So when they're carrying Victor Pascal into the clinic in the movie... In the background, if you look, there's a rabies poster. Oh, yeah. And Cujo's on the poster for the rabies poster. Okay, so there's the one. And then in the book, when she, Ellie tries to, not Ellie, God, Rachel the wife. Mm-hmm. Weirdly, in the book, or in the movie, they, they rush the whole concept of, like, Pascal suddenly shows up, and he's like, right. oh, my God, you got to go stop him. And she rushes back to Maine. Yeah. And she gets in the truck that the truck number is six six six. That's a oh. little fact for you. 
but they pass in the book a sign for Salem's Lot, like Salem's oh, Lot. Yeah. right, which connects it to Salem's to that. Lot. So. What, um, what are we doing next week? Is next week our last week for... No, no we have two left. Do you want to... Do you want to archive it real fast? Well, we've talked about how Stephen King doesn't really fit in the archive. I think this one. I think we we have the action, for sure. Yeah. Uh, we have revolutionary. I mean, the zombie come back from the dead. It definitely has its own little twist to it. This is very monkey's paw. Yeah. Oh, that's what I said at the get go. Yeah, this is very monkey's paw. So I don't think it gets very revolutionary. revolutionary. No. I think it does have action. Killing. Yes. Uh, one of the. Oh, the Achilles tendon thing got me. Um, oratory, yeah. There's yeah. some memorable lines. What have you got? The evil of a man's heart is sto- or what is it? The evil of a man's heart is stonier, Lewis. A man grows what he can, and he tends it. There you go. Like Judd Crandall. Fantasy and fornication. I don't think. I mean, we're talking about come back from the dead, so yes, fantasy. But as far as fornication goes, I mean. There's weird white people make out at one point. That's about it. Do you want to hear a weird... I bet in the book there's sex. Fornication bit about this movie? Ugh. No, but okay. So they shot the scene where Pascal shows up and uh, Lewis is in bed sleeping. Mm-hmm. And he's like, get up, Lewis. It takes him to the pet cemetery. Uh-huh. Well, originally, Dale McKiff, that yeah. Lewis was like just in his underwear laying there and they shot it and they're like this is weirdly like sexy <laughs> so can they, you please put on some big jamma bottoms had him like put on jammies and yeah. they reshot it <laughs> it's so too like, sexy yeah they're like this gosh is, you're too sexy this is weird like a ghost just shows up and you're sprawled out like a fucking catalog model <laughs> like an underwear model yeah that's how i lay around you know did you, you like know. this movie eh eh i was kind of indifferent to it i didn't think it was scary um it was just like, oh, that's why didn't you? You're a bad parent. Oh, yeah. Now, do you think you could fairly? If I was it? younger, I would have been terrified of most of this movie because yes. of the real life events that happened around the time. of I cannot separate the two, so I don't know how to tell you that. <laughs> I mean, like honestly, I don't. I've ne- I've never had to do what I did on Wednesday, and I've never seen Pet Cemetery, so I can't um, separate the two. I feel like this is a weird movie. Like it. I think there are things that work really well, and I think there are things that don't work so well. Mm-hmm. So I don't. It just think didn't it, age well at all. I mean, I I really like this movie a lot, but I think a lot of why I like it is nostalgia and watching it as a kid. Fair. I think if I watched it with fresh eyes, having never seen it when I'm at like now, me, there there definitely are some acting. Issues. There's some issue. It's um, yeah, and the pacing's a little weird, but. As a whole, I enjoy yeah, it. That's a decent movie. Yeah. What are Star we doing next movie? week? Zelda. Tell me what we're doing next week. Oh, uh, we got two weeks left. So right. So what's next week? We're doing The Shining. The Shining for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. The original. Yeah. Okay. It's they, there's an original and then there's a mini-series. like a oh that's right it's a mini series wasn't a movie. Yeah. All right. Well, until then. I'm Josh. And I'm Cindy. And I'm still his girlfriend. Yay.